Remember where we started last week. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So again, we don't conform to the world because the world is going to pressure you from the outside. The world is going to throw things at you to think about, to see, to listen to, to get you to change and operate in a certain way. Whereas being renewed by the spirit inside of our mind, we're renewed from the inside out. The spirit of God in us, transforming us so that our vision, our thought, our actions align with who he is and nothing else. Douglas J. Moo said, this reprogramming of the mind does not take place overnight. I think you guys understand that. I think we want that. We would love it to be automatic and immediate, to almost have that robotic sense of, Jesus, just press that button and allow me to change immediately and think like you, act like you, talk like you, have everything memorized and just move on with life that way. That would be wonderful, but that's not how he created us. So it doesn't happen overnight, he says, He says, but it's a lifelong process by which our way of thinking is to resemble more and more the way God wants us to think. So what's the difference then as we continue on now into today's topic? Having that idea of what a worldview is and developing a biblical worldview, remember the lens by which you see the world. So as we talk about politics today, and I know this is a divisive topic and it may not be for us in this room but if you just step outside and look around what is one of the main things that divides this entire world especially our country and on down the line between our state and our county and our cities etc it's politics it's the perspective of politics It's where you sit on the spectrum of conservative or liberal or Democrat or Republican or whatever it might be. And and what you believe about these issues or those issues or these propositions or this candidate or whatever it is. It's so divisive that the moment you start speaking about politics, what happens in the conversation? Does it get a little more heated than it does gentle and loving? Yeah, it's just it's our society. It's the way it works today. But let me separate something really quick. And I don't think I have to do this, but I felt it was something that I probably should do just so we're thinking again the right way as we move through this morning's conversation. It's just simply the difference between government and politics. Are they one and the same? Okay, so there is the government structure. And I think if you here as an American would raise your hand and say, I don't think there's too many that would have a problem with our structure of government. Now, you may, you may have your opinion, and that's okay. I'm not trying to, I'm not, please understand, I'm not trying to sway anybody's opinion this morning. I'm not telling you to vote this way or that way. There's one thing I'm going to tell you, and that, that'll come later on. But, but when it comes to just how the government is set up comparatively to other systems of government, I don't think too many would have a problem with our republic, our democracy, the separation of powers, that there is, we don't have a, a tyrant and it's not set up that way of uh, absolute dictatorial totalitarian rule by one individual. It may seem that way sometimes, but it's not that way. There's a separation of powers between the three branches of government and, 
and checks and balances that you hope is still in place and and as it filters down into the states and the counties and the cities and everything else it again that's the government the organization the machinery or agency through which a political unit exercises authority and performs its functions i don't think too many of us are going to debate that moreover what happens is we debate politics Politics is the actions, policies, and practices of those in the government and how they operate and what they do and say with the authority granted to them. Make sense? So that's why we're talking more about politics today than we are the government. So as we started last week, we talked about this idea of a worldview. So what should our worldview be in the political sphere? How should we think? What lens do we look through in regards to politics and the actions and the words and the verbiage used that's given to us every single day? Remember, the worldview is the lens through which you look to see and understand the world. And sometimes that needs to be cleaned a little bit. Even the inside needs to be cleaned, right? But how do you, when you hear political parties, conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, elections and voting, laws and propositions, what position do you take or have you taken based on that spectrum of politics? How do we think and act towards the president, members of Congress, the Supreme Court, state and local officials, and especially the decisions they make. That's where it comes into play. A couple things to think about. The uh, director of the Southern, uh, Southern Baptist Seminary, uh, Albert Moeller Jr., said, If Christ is king and God is sovereign and our citizenship is ultimately in heaven, then we shouldn't have our equilibrium thrown off by any election. If we understand that right there, that's the worldview perspective that we can start to think about. If God is sovereign, if Christ is king, if we understand and believe that our citizenship is not here, but is in heaven to come, then no matter what happens with any election, whatever laws are passed, are they going to affect our lives? Yes. Should it make us fall over? No. Because God sits on the throne. This is worldview we're talking about. Somebody else by the name of Cal Thomas said, We who are followers of Jesus have, given, have been given a greater power than the politics of our country. It's the power of redemption. We are not going to redeem America from the outside through political leadership. That might be hard to hear for some people. We get so caught up in the voting process that this individual, no matter who they are, or what party they're a part of, what they believe or what they do, we have this feeling that if we put them in office, everything is going to be taken care of and, and, and we're going to be at peace and everything's going to be just wonderful. We think salvation comes through political leadership and it absolutely does not. It doesn't. Again, remember, this is the worldview concept. We are not going to redeem America through, from the outside through political leadership. As important as that may be, the only power that is going to redeem people comes from within. 
the redemption that Jesus offers us to be like and act like and talk like and transform us into who he is and his character and how we operate. So this is the understanding. If we can destroy and eliminate the temple to our own satisfaction from the political perspective, cultural perspective in this world, if we can eliminate that, when God asked the Israelites to destroy the idols and temples to gods and everything else when they came into the promised land, we need to do that internally. Any idols or statues or political feelings that we've established in our life that drives our perspective, that's what we need to destroy. Because we feel if it's a Republican conservative system, then everything's going to be great. And if the, if the liberals and the Democrats take control, the hell's going to, the world's going to go to go to hell. We have this perspective for whatever reason. And we need to back up from that thinking. Now, again, does that mean it's not important and that you should just ignore politics? No. It absolutely directly affects our lives. But we start with the vision. We start with the worldview. And then we move forward with that in mind. So let's look at Romans chapter 13. This is just a foundation, but I think it is one of the best sections in scripture that we have to give us perspective in how we view the government, how we view the authority and those in politics that are over us and how we operate within that sphere. So let's read chapter 13, Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, and then we'll kind of break this down some more. Verse 1 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Raise your hand if you like that portion of scripture. <laughs> our, our sixth grader in the room loves it. Us adults who vote and, and operate in the world right now don't. And I get that. I love that perspective. Hold on to that. But we don't like this portion of scripture because we want to have angst and hostility and push back against every individual that doesn't align with our perspective of politics. We don't like it. Don't tell me I need to be in subjection to this president or this governor or this city official. I don't like it because I don't like them. Therefore, I don't want to be submissive to them. 
I want us to think through that process. Think about what you're thinking. (laughs) Because this is overall about submission and obedience to the Lord who is sovereign over everybody. So, let's take a look at it. When it says to be subject to the governing authorities, what does that mean? It means we are to be in submission to them. Because we are placed under their authority. Submission is an attitude of compliance and support. I'm going to say that again. Submission is an attitude. An attitude of compliance and support. And this is why I believe Paul was very careful through the spirit-inspired writing that he did not write that we are to obey all the governing authorities. He didn't say that, did he? We're to be in submission, which is an attitude of compliance, an attitude of support. If he had said obey every governing authority without question, what would that have done to Peter's ministry? Paul's ministry that we've been talking about through Acts? How about the ministry of Jesus? It would have eliminated every single one of their ministries right off the bat because the moment they disobeyed the authorities, They could have been imprisoned and killed without question. But it wasn't about obedience. It was about submission. Remember what Peter had mentioned when he was brought before the Jewish council for disobeying their orders not to preach the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 5. Let me remind us. The council said to him, we strictly charge you not to teach in his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. And so that is our understanding of why we can submit. But the moment that that leadership tells us we are to be in opposition and contradict the authority of God, we have every right to be disobedient. So let's clarify that a little bit more as we move forward. So obedience to God supersedes obedience to man. Obedience to God supersedes obedience to man. Now I have to move on because a lot of people will take that statement and go, good, I don't have to do a thing the government tells me to do because my obedience is to the Lord. I can break any law I want to because I obey God rather than man. No, that's not what it's saying. Is it a true statement? Yes. But it does not eliminate the call to submission as God intended. Our obedience is to the Lord. But he also calls us to submit to their authority because who placed them in authority? He did. So as we submit to the authority over us at the state level and the national level, we are in essence saying, I'm submitting to God because he's the one that placed them in that position of power. We are subject to his overarching leadership. Let me remind us what Daniel said. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament, Daniel, when he was dealing with some of these political issues, right? About his faith in God and his leadership under Nebuchadnezzar. One statement he said three times to King Nebuchadnezzar. He was interpreting his dreams and three times in Daniel chapter four, Daniel said this. 
We'll use the one from verse 17. It said, The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. See, Daniel was telling the king, Yes, you are king, but God put you there. You are king, but you are still submissive to his ultimate authority over your life. Yet even with some in authority who do not believe, we are still subject. And this is where it gets tough. When we don't agree with their policies, when we don't agree with them, and or we know they're not going to adhere to God's standards of morality and virtue and character, so why do I have to submit to them? Because God calls you to. So we need to continue to clarify this. Even though Peter obeyed God, did he, was he set free from the consequences? No. When Daniel still believed that what he needed to do was spend that time in prayer to his God, even though he was entrapped by the leadership, did he still have to suffer consequences? Yeah. So even though we're obedient to God, we still kind of have to deal with the consequences that may come from the state. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who took a stand and said, no, we will not bow down to your idol. And what happened? They were thrown into the furnace. Jesus submitted to the Roman authority and was killed. Peter was in submission to the authority of the, the, the council in Jerusalem and was put into prison. Paul was submissive to all the Roman leadership in all the areas that he traveled to, and yet how many times was he beat and thrown in prison and left for dead? See, submission to God does not mean that we'll be free to live a peaceful, non-consequential life. We still have to deal with what we have to here in society, but we are under his authority. If we don't like what Paul said in Romans, how about what Jesus said? Jesus' own words in Mark chapter 12, verse 17, that we are to submit ourselves to those in authority when he claimed, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. We are to submit to the leadership that's over us. Let me, let me bring us back a couple years. I think I explained this in the, in, a, in the day, but it made me think about this again. When, when COVID happened, there was a lot of political division in the church over COVID and the shutdown, wasn't there? And everybody, not knowing what was happening when March of 2020 hit, knew what was going on. And we were told by our governing authorities, as was happening around the world, we need to shut down, we need to go inside, we need to not meet together, we not, not need to be out, we need to let two weeks go by to flatten that curve and, and everything else that was happening. And so we did so. And we were submissive to the leadership that was over us. And we, as a church, shut down and were gathering together for about four months. Now, that didn't make a lot of people happy. And I was informed by quite a few how wrong I was. I said, 
that's okay. Because even at that time, just a couple months into this whole pandemic, the conspiracy theories and, and thoughts and opinions and, and whatever else was already starting to flow. You guys remember. I'm not telling you anything you, you don't remember. That even the government telling everybody to shut down, which included the church, caused some people to get up in arms and, and say, no, we're not going to. And, and that was their choice. That's what their conscience allowed them to do. But I felt at that time we needed to be submissive, not knowing really what was happening, what the full scope of this thing was, until our governor decided to put his hand into the church and say, this is how you need to operate within the church. And that's where I said, no more. When he was going to start to dictate how we worshiped together, that's where I decided, no. And that's when we started to open up again and met again. We met at the golf course, and, and that's, that's where we are today. But it's a tough decision. But it comes down to a matter of conscience, doesn't it? And is everybody going to have an equal conscience and how they interpret scripture, how they're following the Lord and what they do. Obviously not, because there were multiple churches that never shut down, closed one day. There are some churches that hadn't opened up until just maybe last year. You know, everybody's conscience is going to be dictated differently in how they interpret scripture and read scripture. And so we are never to look at that church and go, you're wrong, you're wrong. You're right. You're okay. Not sure about you. What we're doing is fine. Everybody's going to fall on a different part of the spectrum. But if we can pull back a little bit and if we are seeking the counsel of God, if we're seeking the counsel of his spirit, then we need to be at peace with that. If we are obeying his word and submissive to the leadership over us until that leadership says no this is how you're going to operate as a follower of Christ. That's where I said no. So we are called to submit. We are called to respect. We are called to honor the positions that are over us. We may have an issue with individuals. I get that. But we are called to submit regardless. Remember how Romans 13, 7 finishes up, says pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. So that lays it out pretty clear. But we need to carry on. We need to kind of talk through a little bit more because there's a whole lot more to this conversation. And I know we're not going to cover it all today. <laughs> just to throw that out there, just so you know. It's not all going to be answered today. But what is our further response to authority that defies God openly? I think that's what it comes down to for a lot of us in the church that are followers of Jesus. To those that are openly hostile and disrespectful to the God we serve. What do we do? How are we to operate? How are we to think in that way? Politics are unavoidable. Those who are placed in those positions are not always going to stand on biblically centered moral foundations. So there have been some responses throughout time that we can look at. I'm not saying these three are the only ones that exist. 
but they're some of the major ones and how people have responded to the authorities out there that don't stand on a moral foundation and they respond and react certain ways. Number one, there has been some rebellions and revolutions in the past. We even have our own, our own history. But people will revolt against the institution, revolt against the state. How are we as Christians to think about that? Open rebellion and open revolution. Well, if we go back to our own history, in one of our most famous documents, the Declaration of Independence, what does it say? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We're familiar with that phrase. But are we familiar with what it goes on to say? That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government. So that was the letter written to King George that they said, we are no longer going to be subject to your rule when you're 3,000 miles away on the other side of the ocean. We are free. And then we had to fight for that freedom. That was a rebellion. That was a revolution. You guys remember what that war was called? The Revolutionary War. Do you know who called it that? The British. Because we were revolting against their authority. Do you know what we called it? The War for Independence. <laughs> See, we were revolting against them. But his outright rebellion to the laws of the land, the right Christian response. This would be a great topic of conversation to have. Not in the church, not right now. But pros and cons. From a Christian perspective, should America have broken ties with Great Britain? We're not going to talk about that right now. In fact, I don't even want you to think about it right now. Just put that aside. That was my little history mind that was working earlier. And I have my answers, not right now. But it might make you feel better, rebellion, revolution, feel like you're doing something to stand your ground against a tyrannical type of rule. But you might be violating the command of God as outlined in Scripture unless the state is telling you to abandon your beliefs in God. If they are forcing you to believe something other than God's word and God's law. So that's one way, rebellion and revolution. Number two, fight or flight. I've heard that phrase before. Many people throughout time have taken the stance to flee that persecution. There's a group of people in uh, France during the 16th and 17th centuries called the Huguenots. They were Protestant Christians and in France was ruled by the Catholic Church in the 16th and 17th century. And they were basically being told, you will abandon your Protestant Christian beliefs and you will join the Catholic Church. And these group of people said, nope, we're out of here. And the Huguenots fled and found freedom. A very similar group of people within England at that time, they were called the Puritans. And they saw the Anglican Church as having a lot of problems. The Protestant Church, ruled by Henry VIII, is having so many problems, they said, nope, we need to fix these problems. And when they, they found conflict, they decided, okay, then we're going to go where we can worship our way, what we believe is right in regards to our Protestant faith. And they became known as pilgrims. And they got on a few boats and set sail 
landed in a place called Plymouth in 1620, and history moves on. But what about currently? There's a group of people now called the CCs. Have you ever heard about these people? The CCs are conservative Californians who have left the state due to liberal ideology and hurt feelings to settle in what are now referred to as red states. Have you heard of that? That's a joke, actually. I just made that up. I just thought it was fun to give name to people of this, this mass California exodus. But it is real. I don't, I don't want to make light of it. I, I, obviously, it's just a joke. But I get, the, I get the mentality. I get the philosophy that a lot of people don't like the politics of the state of California. And so they say, we have the freedom to go anywhere we want. So we're going to pick up and we're going to move somewhere that we agree with the politics in that state. And the majority... Strong majority of those that have fled California have been conservative people, probably conservative Republicans, that didn't like the politics, the liberal theology, or not theology, excuse me, ideology of the state, and left, and went to states that are more in line with their political beliefs. But it's a massive wave of people, and that's still going on. And a lot of people will back that up with Scripture. Didn't Jesus himself say in Matthew chapter 10, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next? Those are Jesus' words. But we need to define persecution. And, we're not, and I, I say that, just kind of throw it out there. We're not going to do that now. But look, like I said, I don't have a problem with that. Jess and I have, have talked about, should we move? Should we go somewhere else? I'm sure maybe you have as well. I don't think there's too many that haven't had that thought. If you're a conservative or, or whatever else, you're looking at the state, you're seeing what's going on and going, I don't know if I want to be here anymore. It might be a little less expensive to go to Idaho or Tennessee or Texas or I think those are the main three where people are going. But, you know, I don't have a problem with it. If you're dedicating that decision to the Lord in prayer. If you're hearing from the Lord that that's where he wants you to go and that's where he's going to use you. I believe personally, this is me, apart from scripture, something like that as a follower of Jesus Christ is a call from God. I believe that. Because he is going to put you where he wants you. You don't get to go where you want to and just try and fit him into your new way of life. But that's me. I just pray that all, and I have a lot of good friends. I have a set of parents that have moved Idaho because their statement was, I want to get out of this state. And I don't blame them at all. Just dedicate that decision to the Lord. You are free in Christ. And when you back that up to a free society that we live in, you can go and move and live wherever you want. But just make sure you are adhering to the Lord's leading in your life. So there's revolution and rebellion, there's fight or flight, and then there's vocal change. God has given us a tool in which we can use to cause a revolution without a revolt, using our voice. And we can exercise the freedom we have to effectively promote change through this democratic process that we have. It's a right we've been given and a right we must use. Think about the First Amendment rights. You guys are familiar with the Bill of Rights? Familiar with the First Amendment? 
the one we all stand on. Think about these words. Listen, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Every single one of those First Amendment rights have to do with what? Your voice. Religion and how you worship. Freedom of speech. Your freedom to assemble. Your freedom to address grievances to the government. The freedom of the press to write and say what they believe. That's all voice related. So your First Amendment rights guaranteed by the Constitution give you a voice. And because of that, I believe we need to use it properly. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Martin Luther King Jr. said that. And similarly, David Clausen, in an article he wrote, said, Christian withdrawal opens a moral vacuum susceptible to influences that pressure government to move outside of the purview designated by God. When Christians remain silent, it opens up the door for satanic influence, evil influence. We have the power to create change, but to do so standing on God's word, his moral foundation, when we see things that are wrong in society, laws being passed, propositions being offered, people that are going to go to office that we know are going to adhere to more of a worldly, secular standpoint, then we have every right to open our mouth and speak against that to instill in this country biblical values and or people that might adhere more to biblical values through the process of voting and our freedom to speak against those things. Remember verse 5 in Romans 13 says, Therefore one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Our conscience dictates that we stand on a moral foundation given to us by God. Therefore, we have the opportunity to speak to that and to see that operate within our sphere of influence as much as we can. So can you stand good and clear before the Lord in what you say and do towards those who act and politic with an anti-God state of mind? In how you vote, in what you say, standing on the firm foundation of God's word, can you have a good and clear conscience standing against those who are going to do things that are contrary to God's word? Again, that's your biblical worldview. That's the perspective you need to have towards politics. So understanding the difference between government's policies that require us to disobey God's law versus one who permits things that are done outside of God's will. There's a difference there, isn't there? Does our government mandate and require abortions? No, but it permits it, doesn't it? Does it require that you have to live in the homosexual lifestyle? No, but it permits it and it approves it. See, there's a difference there, isn't there? And so we have to think very differently about how we approach these things that are on the ballot and have to consider them. In fact, one of the, the main things this 
coming up in November here. That we have a governor that stands for a woman's right to choose. Governor Newsom is very, very, and vocally pro-abortion. In fact, he's gone so far to use his campaign funds recently to put up billboards in other states, in some of these red states, letting those citizens in other states know that California is open if they need help getting an abortion. In fact, I've got one up on, uh, here that I, I put on the screen. You can kind of see. But it doesn't just go as far as, Caleb, do you have that? There you go. So there, and there are various others. I don't know if you guys have heard about this or seen this. And I know it's difficult to see, but I'm going to kind of help you read through what it says down here in, in white. So obviously it says, need an abortion? California is ready to help. This is one specifically that was in Texas. Now it says, learn more at abortion.ca.gov. But see that white line down there? Mm -hmm. I'm going to read those words to you. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. Mark 12, 31. So here our governor is using the words of Jesus Christ to justify the murder of the unborn. So do we need to have a voice on this? Yes, we do. Now, again, I am never, and I say that asking for accountability, I will never stand behind this pulpit, music stand, and tell you to vote for this person or that person. I will never do that. But when it comes to a proposition that's on the ballot that will legalize abortion, codify it, and place it in our state's constitution, that abortion is a part of every individual's right to practice, that's where I stand firm and say, absolutely not. So when you go to the polls and you see Proposition 1 on the ballot, vote no. Amen. Vote no. Now, it doesn't, voting no and if that passes will not eliminate abortion in California. But Prop 1, what it's going to allow to do is it's going to place it in the Constitution of California and allows abortion up to the moment of birth. So essentially removing every restriction on abortions. Because right now I believe abortion is allowed up to 23 weeks, something like that. So basically you take a nine-month-old unborn child, one second inside the womb, and you can end its life if this proposition passes. And some say it even goes so far as to say if that child is, the abortion is botched and he's born alive, they are allowed to leave it on the table and let it expire without medical help and without question. That's evil. That is pure evil. So that's where I say we need to stand against the issue are we to submit to Governor Newsom? Yes, we are. But when he uses Jesus' own words to justify the murder of the unborn, 
That's where we absolutely have to draw the line and make our voice heard as much as we can. Let me give you one example as to what's out there. And maybe you can, if you want to share it or, or however you want to, whatever you want to do with it. But there's a video out there that the California Family Council put out. It's about one minute long and it actually answers these billboards. I'm proud to be able to put those billboards up. Proud to be in a position to be able to afford it and do so through the campaign. Our donors are asking for more of that. They believe in women's freedom and right to choose. This is what needs to happen. We have to use our voice to speak against evil, especially when somebody twists the words of Scripture to justify something so wrong. So I'm saying at least vote no on Prop 1. So, so going back to what we were talking about, our form of government allows us to make changes that are more in line with biblical values. That's why we're not talking about government. We're talking about politics. Our government allows us and gives us the right to use our voice to, to make change. If we don't voice our disapproval of things that are contrary to God's word, our silence may equate to approval. If you just let things go and say, well, what's my one vo vote going to do? What, what can I really do to make change? Well, that's not what you think about. You just go and do what your conscience according to God's word, requires you to do. And then leave the results up to the Lord. Do you believe that we live under a God-ordained authority? Do you believe that we live under a God-ordained system of government? Or did this all just happen by chance? And now we're going to pull God in. No, if you believe that under God's ultimate plan and provision for his will, his way, his plan for all of humanity in the scope of history that he has us here right now under this system of leadership, under this system of government, then we have an opportunity to engage in that system because he's placed us here for a reason. And we have the freedom to do so. If Lincoln's words are correct, that this is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, then we need to engage in this system that we have. So, how do we think and participate in politics? We've talked about a worldview, a biblical worldview, our biblical worldview in regards to politics. So what do we do? Last week, if you remember, we, I gave you three things that we are to ask the Lord to help us clarify our worldview. We're to identify those things that may have been inhibiting us from having a biblical worldview and then to seek and uh, research the issues at hand so we can make the best decisions in how we live and operate in society. So with that in mind now, 
Let me give you four things for politics. Number one, we start the same way. We pray for those who are in office. If God placed those authoritative figures over our life, no matter where they stand, who they are, we pray for them. Now, is that an appeal from Pastor Cam to you? Yes, but it's actually an appeal from God's word to you. First Timothy chapter two, verses one and two says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Is your prayer going to determine the, the course of society and culture? Not necessarily. Because people are going to operate and pass policies and do things in a way that is going to contradict God's word. But we can still pray for them. That is our number one thing we need to do. So ask the Lord to clarify your worldview and then pray for those who are in authority over you. Number two, how can we view proper policy as a means of fulfilling the great commandment? So policies and laws and things that are passed, how can we view the proper ones in a way that fulfills the great commandment? What's the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Governor Newsom has a perspective on that verse. Let me give you the God-ordained proper perspective. That when policies are passed that actually do good things for humanity, wouldn't it be good to back that up and help fulfill those so we can truly, properly love our neighbors in the right way? See, there are laws out there that assist people. There are laws out there and things that protect people and provide for people. See, there are things that we can get behind and move forward on that helps us love our neighbor properly from a biblical perspective. One, we use our voice and our ability to advocate for our neighbor. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 7 says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So we pray and we voice and we vote according to God's values, biblical values, and then seek a way to fulfill those values to love people so they have an understanding that God loves them and wants a relationship with them. So we pray for those in office. We, we voice our opinion. And three, we commit ourselves to the reading and understanding of the candidates and the issues. Find out who's running for office. Read up on them. Go to their website. They typically list everything about themselves and what they believe in and, and how they would vote and maybe even a little bit of history on how they voted in the past. Do some research. It's important to understand. I would think that a lot of you kind of looked into me a little bit maybe before you came to this church. Who, who what does he believe? How is he going to teach? I just had somebody reach out to me on social media not long ago and say, what do you really believe about this issue? Because if I'm going to send people to you, which I, you know, I, I like what I hear from you, but give me a little more understanding about who you are so that I know that my friends, if they're going to go to your church, are going to get proper biblical teaching. And I said, well, I'm not going to answer that on social media because that's not a conversation for social media. But if you want to call me, then I'm happy to have that conversation and give you a little more of my understanding of scripture and theology about what I believe and what I teach and how I operate in this church. 
Absolutely. You research the people. You research the candidates. You find out where they stand on the issues, especially the moral issues that directly align with the heart of God. Research what's at stake by those who take office and the laws and propositions that they're putting forward and will support. Losing my stand here. How are they going to affect the welfare of the city, state, and country we live in? Get informed. Now, this is not the end all of your research. You do your research. And I think one of the first things that maybe all of you have currently right now is one of these. Y'all should receive these. If you have registered to vote, you have probably received these. I can't stand these. They're incredibly confusing. <laughs> can read through these, and this is good. I mean, this is good to read through. They give you the, the background on the candidates, the background on the propositions that are at stake, how to vote, all that good stuff. But you can go beyond this. In fact, I've, I've got a list for you, and you can take a screenshot if you want. I'll also send it, and I'll put it in the newsletter. Just some other websites and places to go to help you get a little more informed on the issues at hand. Now, yes, some of these are, I have researched and I have actually used myself to get a better perspective, a deeper perspective on some of the propositions that can be pretty confusing out there. You know, let's, I'm, I'm not going to get into the details, but there's a Proposition 26 and Proposition 27 that's on the ballot. And it has to do with the extension of gambling on uh, tribal reservations. Where are we to stand on that as, as followers of Jesus? Do we have a perspective? Should we have a perspective? Should, is that something we vote on? Or, or if we do, how do we vote on it? Is it yes or no? Some of the verbiage can be so confusing. But some of these websites clarify it so clearly. And it's very helpful. So you can look into those. I'll, I'll, I'll forward the first one up there, CalMatters, calmatters.org. It's actually very non-biased. I don't believe it's even a Christian website. But it very clearly and simply puts the yes and no answers up against each other and clarifies all the issues and the candidates so much better, in my opinion, than this thing. <laughs> so that's just one I, I threw up there. But then other ones that are a little more uh, biblical or Christian, the California Family Council, they're the ones that put out that video on abortion. California Family Alliance is specifically the voting network, uh, an election network of the Family Council. And then the election forum is a great, another great opportunity to kind of put the candidates up against each other and find out who they are, what they stand for, and, and help you develop your thinking towards them. So please, like I said, get informed. We have to. It is that important to not just, I mean, if you have your philosophy of voting and how you do it, that's, it's up to you. I'm not trying to tell you how to vote. I'm not trying to tell you who you should vote for or anything like that but just rather get informed. Do some research so you can take your biblical worldview and actually put it into action properly. Begin at whatever happens, the Wednesday after, we move forward in faith in Jesus Christ as sovereign, as Lord, and continue to move forward in faith in who he is. And that's why it leads me to number four. We have to be kingdom-minded above all else. Kingdom-minded. This does not eliminate our responsibility 
to engage in politics and in culture. But to be kingdom-minded helps you develop your worldview. So I want you to listen to these verses and what they say in uh, relation to politics. Okay? We'll start with John 18, verse 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Remember, he's speaking to Pilate. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Okay, so what do we do with that? Well, let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So as followers of Christ, we are transferred into his kingdom. Therefore, if his kingdom is not of this world, neither are we. This is not our permanent home. We don't belong here. We are exiles. We are we're passers through. We're, we're just marching our way through until the Lord comes and brings us home to the true eternal promised land. His kingdom is not of this world. Therefore, our kingdom is not of this world. Then we look further into Colossians chapter 3. It says, if you then have been raised with Christ and belong to his kingdom that is not of this world, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are of the earth. Politics, propositions, laws. We think how Christ thinks towards those things, not what our feelings or emotions dictate. You following me? We are to align ourselves with Jesus. And again, I, I know it's a little cliche, but... And forgive me if this is really wrong. Maybe I'll, I'll repent later. But how would Jesus vote? Well, we say, what would Jesus do? If Jesus looks at proposition one, what circle is Jesus going to fill in? I don't know if that's right or wrong. I, right now, whatever. But we need to think how Jesus would think. And he's given us everything and how he thinks right here. So appeal to God's word and engage properly from a biblical perspective. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Waiting doesn't mean ignorance. It never means as we wait for Jesus to return, we sit in the corner and we twiddle our thumbs and we do nothing. He tells us to engage. How are we going to love our neighbor if we just sit in the corner waiting for Jesus to come back? How can we love our neighbor if we just take the perspective of, I hate that individual, I hate what he stands for, and just social media type your anger? That's not loving your neighbor. We have to engage. We have to participate. How are we going to make disciples if we don't engage? How are we going to love others if we don't engage? So as we wait for the Lord to return, we have a responsibility and we need to take part in that and do so from a proper perspective. And finally, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Listen, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And in the realm of politics, how can you proclaim his excellencies? By voting biblically. 
by doing our best to instill in our society values that align with the word of God. If we continue on in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. By doing good. How do we do good in the realm of politics? Run for office if you want. But if you're not going to be a politician, then we can still do good by doing our best within our ability to instill biblical values into the society that we live. And the primary way that we do that is at the ballot box. That's how we can do good. It's how we can love our neighbor and then actually go and love our neighbor properly. Live as people who are free not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And Peter finishes by saying, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So Peter backs up what Paul said. Paul backed up what Jesus said. We need to submit ourselves to the governing authorities properly, but only go so far as God's word tells us to go. The moment they tell you to do anything contrary to God's word, that's where we disassociate and our obedience lies with Christ, not man. 